we'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12 is where we'll begin, and we're going to go actually all the way through the end of chapter 2. So Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through the end of chapter 2. Like I said, we, we started this series in Ecclesiastes last week, uh, and so I'll say a, a bit about that in a, a minute, but this morning as we walk through this passage, this passage is, is, is it functions as a bit of a tour. We're going to be taken on a tour from the preacher himself, the, the preacher, the teacher of Ecclesiastes is going to take us on a tour. We're going to find out that it is King Solomon. And so he's going to take us on a tour. And if you remember last week, the first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes 1, he made the point pretty clearly that life was meaningless. That was his point. And, and he did so uh, by, by explaining that it was meaningless in terms of the ability to leave our mark on this world and the ability to gain from our toil. That was his point. There's nothing for man or woman to gain from all of his or her labor under the sun. That was his point. And he took us in those verses on a sobering tour of the universe. And he showed that this, this world operates in a pattern that, that's stuck and it's never going to change. There's a constant, constancy that, that comes with the pattern of this earth. So the path, repetitive paths of the sun and the wind and the waters. And he showed us that pattern in order to convince us that this world is set in a pattern that we can never escape. And so we made the point, you're going to die one day, and you can't escape that. That's the world that we live in. That's life under the sun. And he did, so he started in, in chapter 1 to show us that pattern because the preacher is convinced that the sooner we realize the nature of life under the sun, the sooner that we're able to actually live the life that God has given to us. And so I'm going to repeat the illustration that I mentioned last week because I think it's helpful, uh, but, it, but it's like Solomon in his writing. He wants us to view life the way that we view building towers with our kids on the floor. So we build towers with our kids on the floor knowing that they're just going to be knocked down and we're going to be asked to do the same thing again. That's our expectation. And so we don't get angry when we say, why are you doing this? I want this to last. I want it to be here tomorrow or next week or next year. We don't, we don't have that expectation. We know when we build the, the tower on our kitchen floor that no local news station or hitch, history book is going to record the feat of building a 24-block high tower. Right? That, that's not going to happen. We build them understanding our expectations when rightly shaped enable us to actually enjoy building the tower. We don't expect it to last. We don't expect to gain. We just, we just enjoy the process. And so Solomon wants us to know that our pursuit of life in this world should be governed by right expectations. Namely, your life is short, you're going to die, you're going to be forgotten, and you can't take anything with you. Which means, at the end of the day, you can't really attain any lasting gain from your life. You just can't. There's no gain for man from all his toil under the sun. That's what he wants you to know. And last week, while he took us on a tour through creation, this week he's going to continue giving us a tour, but now he's going to focus on his personal experience. And we're going to see four different pursuits that he made. And he, he's pursuing all these things in order to find gain or lasting significance from these things. He's pursuing gain and purpose and meaning from the things of life itself. And his conclusion, a conclusion that we would all do well to hear, is that all the things we seek lasting gain from in this world are actually incapable of producing what we expect from them. That's what he wants you to know. You're going to pursue gain and purpose and significance from lots of things in this world. And he wants you to know none of them are going to produce what you think they are. They're incapable of doing that. 
And so he means, and, and what we'll see is that instead of gain, looking for gain or benefit or lasting significance from toil, we simply ought to pursue enjoyment from toil. That's going to be the, that's going to be, be the big crescendo of the end of this passage. But, but understanding that, the difference in, in, pursue, in toiling for gain and toiling for enjoyment, right, that makes all the difference in the world. And so the preacher wants us to know that our life, that your life, that my life, is a gift from God to be enjoyed, not a task, task from God to produce gain or lasting benefit. And so we'll come back to this at the end, but here at the outset, the main takeaway from these verses is to step back and recognize that life in God's world is gift, not gain. Life under the sun, life in God's world is gift, not gain. Life in God's world is about enjoying life and toil and food and drink and work and relationships and pleasure and everything else under the sun as gifts from God. Life is about enjoying God's gift, not pursuing gain. That's what he wants us to know. Life in God's world is gift, not gain. Well, let's read the passage. If you're, if you're there, I'm going to begin reading in verse 12 of chapter 1. And you can follow along as I read through the end of chapter 2. Verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over, over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who are over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Chapter 2, verse 1, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of, on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem." I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great, and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil." Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there's nothing to be gained under the sun. Verse 12, so I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man, who do, who comes, what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what, he is, what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? 
And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. And I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and I gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the light his heart does not, even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Verse 24: There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is, a, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, who ha- he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Let's, let's pray as, as we begin. Father, as we, as we listen to the words of the preacher of Ecclesiastes this morning, I pray that you would give us eyes to see our lives rightly as they really are. Guard us from pursuing gain and pleasure and possessions apart from you. Guide us into lives of thankfulness and joy, recognizing that we've been given life on this earth with all of its joys as a gift from you to be enjoyed. So I pray you'd help us to do that in response to this, this message this morning. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. It's a lot of verses, it's a long passage, um, but we're going we're to work through it section by section. So, so as, we, as we go through, here's, here's the breakdown. We have four sections or four parts. And so we're going to see first the, his first pursuit, which was wisdom in verses 12 through 18. Then we'll see, secondly, we'll see pursuit number two, which was pleasure or, or self-indulgence, which was the first 11 verses of chapter two. And then thirdly, we'll see the pursuit of wise living, in verses 12 through 16 of chapter 2, then finally, the final pursuit is leaving a godly legacy or a legacy for those who come after him. We'll see the, the vanity of that in verses 18 through 23. And then finally, kind of the main point there in verses 24 through 26 of chapter 2 will, will be his conclusion from all these pursuits. So let's begin there in verse 12 of chapter 1. He begins the passage in verse 12. If you look, it's, it's a biographical Beginning, he says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. So this is one of the reasons why we think this is Solomon who's writing this. And, and we need to pause right here because this is significant because the identity of Solomon helps us understand all these pursuits, this tour that we're going to go on. Because Solomon was the king of Israel, right? and he was the wisest and richest man ever to live. Right? His wisdom was not lacking, and his wealth and possessions were not lacking, which means as he goes on these pursuits, he would not be limited in his ability to, to pursue whatever he wanted. Right? The world literally was his playground. And so he's going all in with these pursuits, and he's not limited. 
So money or time or wisdom or resources, none of these were an obstacle for him. His resources were bottomless. And so as we, like him, are tempted to pursue these things, we should recognize that that no matter how much, how firmly you believe that more money or more possessions or more wisdom or more security or more savings, whatever it is that you're tempted to put your trust in, no matter how much you have of that, regardless of how convinced you are that those things will lead to an easier, better life, the king of Israel had more of everything than you could ever imagine and more of everything than you will ever have. And yet, as we'll see, his pursuit still led him nowhere. They are vain pursuits, we'll see. So, so look at verse 13, his first pursuit. He says, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And so here Solomon, with all his wisdom, he sought to search out all that's done under heaven. This is a comprehensive pursuit. So he's like, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to look at everything. He sought to make sense of the world, this life under the sun that he, that he mentioned last week. He wants to make sense of it. And he's searching out all that happens and his conclu- the conclusion he comes to quickly, as verse 13 continues, is simply this. It is an un- unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. That's his conclusion. It's an unhappy business. Verse 14, I've seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, it's all vanity. It's all striving after wind. And so here's Solomon, in all his wisdom, applying his heart and seeking to understand life under the sun. His conclusion is simply that God has given humanity an unhappy business. Or maybe a translation says a sorry business, or even one translation says an evil occupation. So as he looks at the world, his wisdom is he's seeking to discern why things are happening. What's the purpose of life? How do I get meaning? He says it's, it's useless. I can't. My wisdom does not give me the answers that I want. And verse 15 is the why. This is the proverb explaining his conclusion. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted And so his point is, wisdom is futile in understanding how this world works. Wisdom can't give me the gain I'm looking for. Solomon wants us to know that wisdom cannot alter the courses and patterns of life under the sun. So maybe you want to figure it out with your wisdom. You're still stuck in this pattern-ridden world. No matter how wise you are, what is crooked cannot be made straight. It's just the way things are, and you can't change it. One commentator explains, Solomon gained more wisdom and knowledge than all who had come before him, and he realized that the lack of the world being able to provide purpose and meaning is a reality that cannot be changed. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. In fact, he doesn't even know what he needs to understand it. It's lacking. He can't can't figure it out. His point is that wisdom, no no matter how much you get, doesn't enable you to understand life and its purpose. Wisdom doesn't help him accomplish gain from his toil. Wisdom can't change or even explain life under the sun. That's his point here. And look how he continues there in verse 16. He said, I, I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who are over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And so Solomon, the more wisdom he attained, and remember, he had more than anyone who had ever lived, the more he attained, the more confusing life became to him. Wisdom was not the answer. A college education is not going to give you the key to unlock the world. It's actually going to make you more confused than you were before you went to college. Wisdom was not the means of unlocking life's purpose and meaning. The more wisdom and knowledge Solomon gained, the more his troubles and sorrows increased. 
Simply growing older often brings realizations of greater problems and greater needs. And so he says, as wisdom and knowledge increase, so often did my troubles, my vexation, and my sorrow. I mean, I don't know if it's, it's just me, but, but do you ever wish that you could just go back to seeing the world through a child's eyes? Just, just know without, so going back and not knowing all that you know now. I just want to go back to then, just innocent eyes with which to view the world. That's Solomon's point. You can get older and wiser and you can, you can be filled with knowledge, but it can't offer what he's looking for. It can't unlock the mysteries of life or give purpose. He can't figure it out. But he doesn't leave there after pursuit one. Look at verses one through 11 of chapter two. He then pursues gain from pleasure or self-indulgence. So look there in chapter two, beginning of verse one. The second pursuit, again, the conclusion comes right at the outset. Verse one of chapter two, he said, I, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Conclusion, but behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? So again, it's a useless, it's a, a vain pursuit. It's striving after wind. And so, so here in these sections, he recounts the pleasures that he pursued. And just look at, look at what he pursued, the pleasures, the different ones he pursued. Remember, he, his wealth and possessions exceeded all who have ever lived. He was the richest man to ever live. And so nothing on earth that anyone has ever been tempted to find pleasure in was out of Solomon's reach. And so in these verses, he recounts all that he tried. So verse 3, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. Verse 4, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards. Verse 5, I made myself gardens and parked and all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I didn't have to take my hose out and do it myself. I, I built stuff to do it for me. I, may, I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me. Verse 8, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces, singers, both men and women, many concubines. Nothing was off limits for Solomon in this pursuit. He did all of it. He pursued pleasure wholeheartedly. And to further make his point, I don't know if you noticed this, but in all of these pursuits, he was still guided by wisdom. Do you notice that? So look at him in verse 3, and he talks about cheering his heart with wine. He says, my wisdom was still guiding me. And then in verse 9, my wisdom remained with me, he wants us to know. And so it's not as though Solomon is pursuing wisdom or self-indulgence with this reckless abandon. His pursuit of pleasure is guided and governed by his wisdom. He's making good, he's using things rightly, trying to, trying to figure them out. But at the end of his pursuit, notice there in verses 9 and 10, after he's done all these things, Verse 9, I became great and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Whatever my eyes desired, I, didn't, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my, re- and this was my reward for all my toil. And so as, as, he's, as, he's, as he's looking back on all that he pursued, did you notice what he said? He said, I kept my heart from no pleasure for, listen to what happened, my heart found pleasure in all my toil. This was my reward for all my toy. And so in all these pursuits, Solomon actually did find pleasure. He found it. His heart found pleasure in all his toil. And this, he says, was his reward. And so this is his immediate conclusion at the end of it. From all of his pursuit, for a moment, I found the solution. I found pleasure. My heart was actually satisfied with all these things. That's his immediate conclusion, pursuing pleasure wholeheartedly, for the moment, according to Solomon, seems like he had gained something. 
from all this toil. I have gained, I have pleasure, I, I experienced pleasure as I did these. My toil brought pleasure, but that conclusion is temporary and it comes crashing down in verse 11. So notice the transition in verse 11. So he just, he just says what he said about his heart found pleasure in toil, verse 11, but then, wait a minute, I stepped back, now I'm removed from that whole process, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And so Solomon tells us there was momentary pleasure, but there was no lasting gain. There's no lasting gain. One commentator notes the reward was not an adequate one when measured by the aspirations that drove the experiment. He determined effort at enjoyment had not brought a sufficient return on the investment. And so in reflection, Solomon concludes that, that joy is as limited, his, his temporary enjoyment from pleasure is as limited as wisdom in what it can achieve. It was temporary, but, but then we step back, he said, I actually, I was in my right mind, and I considered all the toil that went into it, and the pleasure was gone. And it wasn't worth it, because it was momentary, it was fleeting, it didn't last. It too, Solomon says, proved to be striving after wind, chasing something that was impossible to catch. And so just like in the case of wisdom before, pleasure per- proved unable and insufficient to provide purpose and meaning and any lasting gain under the sun. Which led Solomon then to a third pursuit, there in verses 12 through 16 of chapter 2. So look at pursuit number three, which was wise living. So he returns here in this third pursuit to the theme of wisdom. But this time, instead of wisdom as this tool by which to assess the world, now, now wisdom is the governing principle of his life. So, so what if I live a wise life? Maybe that will bring the gain. If I consider wise living, maybe that can provide the gain that I'm searching for. And so as he considers wise, wise living, notice he does say that there is benefit to wise living. So he does say, actually, there is benefit in, in living wisely as opposed to, to being a fool and living foolishly. There's benefit to wise living as opposed to living foolishly, but even there, the benefit, the gain of wise living is severely limited. Look at verse 14. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks walks in darkness. Yes, there's benefit. The wise person is in a better situation as he's living, but look at how he concludes verse 14. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why have I wasted all my time living so wisely? I'm just going to die like the fool. That's what he says. I, I said in my heart, this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there's no enduring remembrance, seeing that in days to come all will have been long forgotten. So even life governed from start to finish by wisdom, even that person and their permanent gain is eventually erased by death. Right? Death is the equalizer here. That, that's what, what brings him to this conclusion. We're all going to die. The fool and the wise man both eventually lay beside one another in the cemetery. And along with their bodies, their remembrance and lasting impact decay and fade from memory. Which leads Solomon back to where he has already been in his other pursuits, verse 17. So I hated life. Wise living doesn't get me the lasting gain I'm looking for. It doesn't, doesn't bring the significance, the purpose because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all, for all is vanity and striving after the wind. The reality of death was a grievous thing to Solomon. There's no point in pursuing a life guided by wisdom, because even then, he'd eventually die and be forgotten. And when that happened, there's no gain there either. 
And so he's pursued wisdom and pleasures and possessions and wise living. And after all that, he's still not satisfied. He still can't find what he's looking for. So he, he turns to a fourth and final pursuit. And so his final pursuit, if, if he can't enjoy any of the fruit of his wise living, what, what about if he, if he just stored up a bunch of stuff and left it for those who came after him, for his children or, or the members of his house or his, his grandchildren? So what about this, this idea of, of getting a lot of stuff and leaving it as a legacy? Maybe, maybe that's where lasting joy or, or gain comes from. Look at verse 18, how he begins with this final pursuit. Again, he, his conclusion is right up front. I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. I mean, if you're a parent, can't you resonate with that? <laughs> like, really? Child one, maybe they'll make it. I know child two's not. I mean, why am I saving all this? And I said, that, that's, that's what he's wrestling with. Even if I do all I can, and I'm wise, and I save, and, and, I, and, I, and I procure all this stuff, I get all this gain from my toil, and I want to make it last. And so I'm going to pass it down to generation after generation. Even then, Solomon says, there's no guarantee that the gain will be passed to the next generation or the next one. In fact, all the gain from all his toil would be dependent on the man who came after him. And there's no guarantee as to whether that person would be wise or foolish. No matter how significant his legacy, sooner or later, it too would eventually fade out of memory. Nothing lasting could be left from Solomon. There's no gain from his toil. And so as he comes to the end of his searching, I mean, you, you can feel this despair in verse 20. So, so look at how, verse 20, as he comes to, like, to the end of these searches. So I turned about and I gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. And so no matter how, many, how, many, how much stuff or possessions or even a, a godly legacy you leave, it's eventually going to be forgotten. And that's what Solomon is saying. The bottom line is that there's no gain for anyone from their toil under the sun. If the expectation of one's toil, if one pursues all that life has to offer, looking to those things to provide lasting gain or purpose or to give life meaning, Solomon says your days are going to be filled with sorrow and anxious toil. The things of life can't produce the, the weight that you're putting, them, putting on them, Solomon says. And so as he comes to the end of, of these pursuits, these four, four pursuits, we have to stop and we have to ask ourselves, is there then any hope or purpose or meaning or value to life? Right? Okay, I got it, I'm following. And actually, Solomon, a lot of what you're saying is true. It resonates with me. Yeah, I agree. Well, then what's the point, Solomon. What, why should we even go on living? What hope do we have to wake up in the morning? And that's exactly the, the question that Solomon wants us to ask because contrary to the, to the entirety of the book thus far, his big picture conclusion that's found in verses 24 through 26, right, th there's a glimmer of light. There's a glimpse of hope that, that he kind of, he shows to us briefly in this, these last verses. He's going to work it out further throughout the rest of the book, but here he, 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 it's like he opens the box and you see, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's hope. 
And so look there at verse 24. In verse 24, in light of all that's been said already, in light of all my prior pursuits, Solomon says, I want you to know, verse 24, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. There's nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. That's his conclusion, and immediately we ought to notice the shift in language there. So he makes, a, he, makes a, he makes a shift, a small shift. He changes a word. So he says there's nothing better for a person than that he should find gain. No, he's not, he's not looking for gain anymore. He's done that. So he says there's nothing better for a person that he should find, not gain, but instead enjoyment in his toil. So it's not, he's like, okay, I tried gain. That's not working. The best thing for you to do is to find enjoyment from toil. Do you see the shift? Pursuing gain, not going to work. Pursuing enjoyment, that's, that's where purpose, lasting value is found. Solomon would have us know that the pursuit is drastically changed when the word gain becomes the word enjoyment. At the end of the day, Solomon counsels us to give up entirely on trying to gain from our toil. And instead, he counsels us to pursue enjoyment in the midst of all our toil. Do you see that? It's not for gain. It's not for building up and collecting. That's not what it's for. That's not what life under the sun is for. It's for enjoyment. And when you're pursuing enjoyment, it changes how you view life. You build the block tower with joy, knowing it's not going to last. It was never meant to. And so you can enjoy block after block. And do it again and again and again because it's not about the lasting result. It's about the enjoyment of pursuing what you have, the task in front of you. And here in this, this conclusion, verses 24 through 26, we also should note that, that God enters the picture. So ever since verse 14 of, of chapter 1, God has been absent. It's been self that's been the, the, the center of all of this. But now God, the one who's been absent in all the searching that occurred throughout the passage, is now front and center. And so when God is in the center, God replaces the striving self that has been at the center through all this searching. And at the end, at the end of the day, the, the preacher Solomon is telling us that God is the one who has to give us enjoyment. Because if he doesn't, if we don't find enjoyment from God, the thing itself, whether the new phone or the house or sex, or whatever the possession is, the thing itself will leave us unsatisfied. When we know that the gift is not meant to be a stepping stone to greater things, when we realize that we are not meant to rule the world or master our destiny or achieve ultimate gain through our careers, then we discover that enjoyment or joy is itself the reward that we may expect from life and all our effort and toil expended in living it. There is no surplus to joy beyond joy itself. We've been given toil and life under the sun for joy and nothing else. Not for lasting gain, but for joy. And that must come from God. At the end of this search, the preacher realizes that gain doesn't come from human pursuit. Life is not about gain. Instead, life is a gift to be enjoyed. And that enjoyment comes only from God. As we started out, this message. Life in God's world is gift, not gain. I want, you to, I want you to memorize that. 
Life in God's world is gift, not gain. The conclusion of this first section is simply this. The purpose of life cannot be found in and of itself for any one of the, from any one of the good things found in this world. All the things that we call the goods of life, health, riches, possessions, positions, sensual pleasures, honors, prestige, all of them slip through our hands unless they're received as gifts from God. Unless they're received with joy. And this is how the passage closes out. Look at verse 25. He says, for apart from him, apart from God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? The answer is no one can. It must come from God. If it's not coming from God or recognized independence as coming from God, then it it can't be received with enjoyment. For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. And so as he concludes, life under the sun that is not lived in relationship with God is always vanity and it's always striving after the wind. It's like God and the reality of God are the glasses with which, the only glasses with which we can view this world and understand it and receive the many good things that are in it. Without the glasses on, you're never going to get anywhere. You're never going to find enjoyment or purpose because nothing in this life was meant to give you the purpose and meaning that can only come from God. They're all meant to point to Him. The good news is that real joy comes from and is found in God Himself. And that, that's the highlight. That, that, that's the crescendo of this. Real joy, real joy comes from and is found in God Himself and in relationship with Him, knowing Him and loving Him. And so the two closing applications, I mean, they're really simple. And we're ending here with these two, two applications. The first, I just said, life in God's world is gift, not gain. Life in God's world is gift, not gain. This passage ought to serve as a reminder or a wake-up call to you and to me. If you're not finding enjoyment in life, if your life is joyless, it's probably because your perspective is all wrong, or at least off-kilter. Life is not for your gain, It's not for you to get ahead or to accumulate stuff, to climb the ladder, to advance in whatever realm you're operating in, to to rise in the approval of others or in the opinion of others. It's not for that. To be well thought of, to make a name for yourself, to establish security and comfort. That's not it. If you you go to work every day just so that you can can have a a good savings or or a secure future, if that's all that you're going for, you're going to be dissatisfied. Because you could lose your job in a minute. And then what do you have? Now you should go to work every day. If you have a job, you should go every day. But your, your motivation should be, I'm going to enjoy the toil that God's given me. Because that's why I've been given my job. Life in God's world is gift, not gain. You shouldn't view your kids as, as stepping stones to rise up in, in the, the opinion of, of neighborhood parents. Or, or any other, your kids and your relationship with them is, is, is for enjoyment. Not so that they can make you a lot of money. You shouldn't, you shouldn't ride them so, so they play football and make you millions of dollars. And that, that's not why they're there. Life, according to the preacher of Ecclesiastes, will only ever be a gift to be enjoyed. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner we can just get, get on with enjoying life. 
And as such, your joy is tied to your ability to recognize that life is a gift. Joy is itself the reward that we may expect from life and all our effort expended in living it. Life in God's word is gift, not gain. And the, the last application, which I already mentioned, is simply this. Lasting joy comes from God. Joy only comes, the, the lasting joy that we're looking for, that we're made for, only comes from God. There's no lasting joy apart from him. That's his point. Only God can give us life and the things of life to enjoy. He's the one who gives them, and he's the one who must give joy in all our toil. So all of life is a gift from God, and everything in life is a gift from God, and we're to enjoy it. That's why we're given them. And the way this happens is by us recognizing that we are dependent on him. Our life is designed to be lived in humility and obedience before God, accepting the limitations that are placed on us as mortal beings and finding joy and satisfaction in the ordinary things of life. And as we find enjoyment in our toil in the ordinary things of life, we recognize that joy is just a signpost on the journey pointing to the God who gives it. And so we enjoy God through a, a good cup of coffee every morning. It's, it's good. And understand if you don't like coffee, it, it's a good gift. But it, it leads us to, to enjoy the God who gives good gifts, or tea, or orange juice, whatever it is, anything, all these gifts are given by God for us to enjoy. And we miss that. We miss the point of life under the sun. And so some of you here need to ask yourselves the, the basic question, whether, whether you know God or not. Because if you're here and you don't know God, if you're not a Christian, you're going to be vainly pursuing pleasure and purpose and meaning for the rest of your life, and you're never going to find it because it only comes from knowing God. And so if you don't know God, let me tell you, he has made himself known to you. He, 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 his testimony speaks all around you. Primarily, though, he's spoken to you through Jesus Christ who, who gave his life and died on the cross for you so that you could be reconciled to God and know him. And so if you don't know God, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus... Today's the first step in this life towards lasting joy and pleasure. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So I would call you, turn from your vain pursuits and trust in Jesus. If you don't know him, you can, and, and he wants you to know him. But those of you here, if you do know him, my hope is that this will be a wake-up call. Enjoy your life. Enjoy life as a gift. You don't know how long you're going to be here. Neither do I. So enjoy the life, the day, today that God has given you. You remember the words of Jesus. Don't worry about tomorrow. Give us this day our daily bread. That's the way this world works. We every day are dependent on him. That's why the song, Lord, I need you. What, what a powerful refrain. May that be our cry every day. We need him. So my hope is that we would find enjoyment this week, today, in the toil that he's given us to be occupied with. Well, let's, let's pray before we sing.